You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Okay, I hope you're hungry for the word this morning. Let's open up to John chapter 7. There's two scriptures I want to unpack this morning. We're going to start in John 7. We're going to move to Mark 4. But I want us to dive into the Lord's word. I pray that you're hungry this morning. A couple weeks ago, I started sharing about the timing of the Lord, trusting the timing of the Lord. That God is not subject to time. In fact, he's the creator of time. He is the great clock maker. He's sovereign over time. He doesn't get stressed out by time. We were always stressed out by time. God is not stressed out by time. In fact, some theologians say that, that time is a weapon in the Lord's hand. Obviously against the enemy in this great um, spiritual battle that is happening right now. But as believers, as children of God, we see time also as a tool the Lord uses. And we have to be willing to trust the Lord in his timing. We have to be willing to trust and wait on him, wait on his timing. He is this good father that entrusts us by opening up our eyes to his great and precious promise, promises in very personal ways. He reveals himself in such beautiful personal ways that enraptures our hearts and send us, sends us on a trajectory, but sometimes the fulfillment of those things is not realized immediately. I would say oftentimes those things are not realized immediately. There is a promise given and then there is a period of waiting. And that, that period of waiting can, can vary. Weeks, months, years, decades, centuries. It can vary, but it's a pattern scripturally of the Lord giving us a promise and then also then almost testing that promise in the place of waiting. And I'm just sensing in my spirit, and I've shared this all summer long from Matthew 25, that I feel like as a church, God is calling us to be really, really good at waiting on him. Be good at looking at him to be the provider of all things, the the source of all things, that we wouldn't muster things up in our own flesh and manufacture things and then also get out of step and get ahead of God, but rather be so aligned with him and his agenda and his timing. And so I started sharing about trusting the timing of the Lord and honestly, it bursted out of my soul so um, effortlessly that I felt like I needed to continue to speak into that. And so I wanna continue in that vein. This morning we'll see if there's I think there's even more to this that I may speak into next week, but, but uh, this morning I want to continue speaking about trusting the timing of the Lord. Um, I recently just got back from vacation, and um, a theme of vacation, I tell my kids jokingly, is, um, it's, it's the tagline I repeat, is vacation is hurry up and wait. Because there's all this anticipation in our house for vacation. We're excited to go on an adventure together, to go do things together, spend quality time together, the six of us. Um, but inevitably, as soon as you get on the road, honestly, we're heading to the airport, and then we hit traffic. You're hurrying to get out the door, then you're waiting. Then you finally get to the airport, you hurry up, and you wait at the ticket counter. Then you hurry up, and you wait at security. And then you hurry up, and you wait at your gate. And that becomes the theme, oftentimes, of any journey, of any um, any worthy destination, there's going to be seasons of waiting. And, and I would say in the Christian life, minus the hurried part, because I don't feel like we should live hurried lives, but there is this sense that waiting is part and parcel with the Christian life, waiting on the Lord. Looking to, and honestly, 
giving back to him the very promises he entrusts us with, giving back to him the very dreams he gives to us. We place them back on the altar again, realizing, oh yeah, these are his dreams, his aspirations. And if we don't do that, what happens is our own ambitions get, begin to muddy the waters. And before we know, we can't discern what's the Lord and what's our own ambition. That's why it's so good to place these things back on the altar before the Lord. The Lord is the one who sparked that dream in your heart. He's the one who opened your eyes to his precious promises in his word and gave you the faith. He's the author of your faith. Therefore, he gave the faith to take him at his word and believe a promise. Therefore, we need to wait on him and trust him in his timing, his perfect timing. He's not slow in keeping his promises. So last time I shared, I talked about impatience and and how oftentimes scripture, there's this pattern that impatience oftentimes begins to make us question the character of the Lord. And then the pattern scripturally, we see this time and time again, the account I referenced is Genesis 16, the story of Sarah and Hagar and Abraham and um, how they came up with their own plan. Eventually they began to question the testimony of the Lord, the story or the, uh, the promises of the Lord. And thirdly, it eventually just led to disobedience. So there's that pattern scripturally of questioning the character of the Lord, questioning the promises of the Lord and eventually just straight out disobedience. And so how do we counter impatience when it arises, arises in our life? Well, we bask and immerse ourselves in the character of the Lord as revealed in scripture. We, we immerse ourselves in truth of who God is. And we begin to hear the whispers of impatience and hear the whispers of, of your own ambitions and your own insecurities and your own um, personal pursuits tempting you to get ahead of the Lord. What do you do? You bask, you bask, and when you're throwing a pity party and we're, when you're just... Um, Pouting before the Lord, you bask in the character of the Lord, that he is a good father, that he's good. Just say that a hundred times over. Say that over and over. God, you're good. You are good. You are good. You can't help but be good. You are good. I know that you are good. Allow his goodness to wash over you, that he is merciful and gracious and sovereign and Lord over all. And secondly, you bask in his testimonies. You look back and you remember. We do that in communion. Last night we did that at the Kyle Alumni Gathering. We basked in the testimonies of the Lord, of what the Lord had done. It reminds us of the breakthroughs that, have, um, that our lives have been blessed with. and allows us to tap into that heritage of faith that we have that fuels us for the future. And thirdly, we walk, we walk out in simple obedience. We, we just go back to the last thing the Lord told us to do and we do that. And oftentimes obedience is prayer. And actually it's that third point of obedience that I wanna talk about this morning. I wanna kinda unpack what it means to be obedient in the waiting. And um, so there's more to this story in John chapter seven. As, as we continue, I kinda stopped last time I shared, and I want to continue that story. There's this story towards the end of Jesus' ministry in John 7 that we read last time, the first nine verses, where Jesus in Galilee still, everyone's eyes are moving towards Judea, where Jerusalem is. Everyone's thinking about the greatness of Christ, and some assume that this will mean some worldly overthrowing of the Roman government. Most are thinking that and hoping for that, and 
And Jesus' own brothers come to him and tell him, we got to get you to Judea. We got to get Jesus to Jerusalem. Because this is, this is going to go down, and we know he's the man. We got to get him down there. And, uh, but they weren't thinking of him as Christ the Lord, as the son of God. They were thinking of him as a, a really cool dude that could uh, overthrow the Roman gov- government. So um, they, they had their own ambitions. They had their own agenda. They had their own way of going about this. And, and Jesus will never bow his knee to our timetable or our agenda. And we found that out last week, uh, or last time I shared. Um, so we're going to continue reading in verse 10. It says this, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, so this, is, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, the Feast of Booths, so this fall festival of the harvest. Um, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. So I think it's so interesting about verse 10 is that Jesus' timing actually did align with his brother's timing, but he would never go on their terms. He would not go because they want him to go. He will go only because the Father wants him to go. So some, sometimes we may even have the timing of the Lord right, but he's not going to go on our terms. And so he goes privately. He doesn't go publicly. He goes private, privately down to Jerusalem. Verse 11, it says this, the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he's a good man, others said no, he is leading the people astray. Yet, for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. The fear of man will always squelch the testimony of the Lord in our life. We need, we need to allow the, our fear of what people think. We need to die in the, in the presence of the Lord. We need a fear of only what one person thinks. It's what the Lord thinks. And so what a sad, what a sad statement, I believe, verse 13 is. Verse 13 is a, 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 a statement of people enslaved by the opinions of people. No one spoke openly of Jesus because they so feared the religious establishment and feared what people thought. And I say that with all grace and compassion. I've been one who the Lord has gloriously been delivering from the fear of man over the last 38 years. And I'm thankful for his grace upon my life in that. Verse 14, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So remember, he's from Nazareth. He's from Podunk, rural Galilee. He's not from um, the, the academic um, power centers of the day. He is from, he's from Iowa, you know, come on. <laughs> so Jesus answered them, my teaching is, is not mine, but his who sent me. He's so humble, Jesus, his perfect submission to the Father. Verse 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. So he is first and foremost speaking of himself, but he is also giving us a path to follow in. That if we want to follow in the ways of Christ, we need to be submitted solely to the glory of the Lord. That our lives are submitted 
to his glory and his glory alone, not the glory of ourselves, the glory of man, but the glory of God. And by that word glory, I mean the beauty of the Lord being revealed. The goodness of God being revealed amongst humanity. That's what we live for. And he says in that one, ultimately in him, that, that, that one will be true, that one will be good, as the people are kind of trying to discern who this, who this Jesus truly is. He's giving them the answer. Verse 19, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus is the discerner of hearts. He knew the, the thoughts and the intentions of their hearts. And obviously he knew where this was all leading. And that, that's, why, that's why sometimes Jesus, his answers don't always speak to the question that was actually asked, but he speaks to the actual motivations of their heart, the true, uh, he cuts, cuts through all the, the trappings and the, um, yeah, the traps of the religious leaders and he speaks to their heart. Verse 21, Jesus answered them, I did, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. And if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry, angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So he, he's speaking of the, the hypocrisy of the religious establishment that they would, they would balk over Jesus setting someone free, healing somebody on Sabbath while they themselves seek to fulfill Sabbath and circumcision simultaneously. Um, and so Jesus is speaking to the common sense way of the kingdom of God um, and seeking to please the Lord. That's the right judgment is seeking to please the Lord. The Lord is judge. And so we live our lives wide open, not to people as our judge, but the Lord as our judge. So this is the, the, the key part of this passage that I wanna pull out, which I believe is a, a litmus test for us as we learn to wait on the Lord. The question to continually put before uh, ourselves and in, in our secret place with the Lord as we're maybe growing um, impatient or growing frustrated with the timing of the Lord is, are we seeking the glory of the Lord or are we seeking our own glory? That becomes like the, the litmus test that cuts to the heart. That's the thing that kind of allows us to come to the end of ourselves. Jesus speaks, it's, it's that one who is true. It's that one who will understand where true authority comes from. True authority comes only from the Lord. Other, <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, if, you, if you have it any other way, you'll always be subject to worldly authority systems. But if you turn your eyes to living for the glory of the Lord alone, you are the freest person in the universe. You're free. You're truly free. Free from people's opinions. Free of people's agendas. You're free. And uh, whom, the son says, whom the son says free is free indeed. Amen? And so that is the, the litmus test that I want to equip our church family with this morning. And I want us to turn to Mark 4 to then give us some really practical things to live this out. Um, is our... Is our um, pursuit of this dream or this promise or this destination 
or this calling or this ambition? Is it for the glory of the Lord or is it for our own glory? And if it's, if it's not for the glory of the Lord, it's not that it's inherently bad. You just, can't, you just can't get frustrated with the Lord on it. It's your own thing, it's fine. Continue to submit it to the Lord. Seek first his kingdom and all these other things will be added unto you. But if from your own mouth you say, the Lord gave you this dream, the Lord gave you this promise, scripturally the Lord spoke to your heart, he revealed himself about who he is, then you have to be willing to put that back before the Lord and say, Lord, this is for your glory. I said, I'm gonna trust you in the waiting. I'm gonna trust you for this breakthrough. I'm gonna trust you. This is for your glory to be revealed and only you can make that manifest in your timing perfectly and I'm gonna trust you with that. So let's turn back a couple books to Mark chapter four. There's, be- there's this beautiful, beautiful parable that Jesus shares that I think illustrates Simple obedience in the waiting. And it's in Jesus, um, uh, in a common way, Jesus uses agriculture and farming. So he speaks the language of Iowa so well. And uh, to teach us how to wait, teach us how to wait on him. Mark chapter four, verse 26, this very short parable. That's what he says. He said, So this has been settled in our hearts. This dream, this promise, this ambition, this calling, this anointing upon your life, this pursuit, it's for the glory of the Lord. It's for his goodness, his glory to be revealed to the maximum extent possible. If that's settled, then here we get the, what I believe are like the practical, um, the practical fleshing, fleshing of that out. In Mark chapter four, verse 26, and he said this, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Everybody say seed. Seed. Verse 27, he sleeps and he rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Everybody say seasons. In verse 29, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Everybody say simplicity. Simplicity. This is the three S's this morning of obedience. It's seeds, seasons, and simplicity, which I I feel like are so clearly illustrated in this beautiful story from Christ himself, letters in red, of what kingdom obedience looks like. Seeds, seasons, and simplicity. He says the kingdom of God is like the scattering of seeds on the ground. The kingdom of God is a a kingdom with this law um, threaded into its, its very fabric. It's this law of sowing and reaping. You cannot reap if there have not been seeds sown. Therefore, as kingdom people, we sow seeds. That's what we do. We scatter seeds. We're people that we scatter the seeds. What what does it mean to scatter seeds? Scattering seeds means praying in faith. Scattering seeds means the Lord has given us a promise and we're not gonna scoff at that promise. We're not going to um, dismiss that promise, but we're gonna pray it into being. We're gonna actually take seriously the Lord's 
um, invitation to co-labor with him. We're gonna take that seriously. Yes, he's sovereign creator of all things and he can do whatever he wants, but in his grand, masterful, majestic wisdom, he's chosen to partner with broken people like you and I that he has set free and redeemed and called sons and daughters. I mean, that blows my mind. Every time I'm stoked to pray on a daily basis, I'm blown away by the fact that God chooses to partner with me, to collabor with me. And so, you wanna know what to do. In the waiting, you scatter seeds. And what does that mean? It means to get on your face before the Lord and pray, pray for the fulfillment of those things that have, that have come, that have come to you, the promises that have been spoken to your heart, the dreams that have been uh, entrusted to you. You pray, you begin to scatter seeds. It also means to, take the opportunities before you to most uh, commonly in these parables regarding agriculture, the scattering of the seed does refer to the planting of faith seeds of the gospel in people's hearts. So we're faithful to do that in season and out of season, in our coming and our going, Monday through Saturday. We don't just proclaim the gospel on Sunday morning as Pastor Riley spoke so beautifully last week. We share the good news of Christ any opportunity we see. Every day we share the good news of Christ. We're scattering seed. We're ones, even if we're not gonna see a harvest then, we're gonna scatter seeds. We're gonna be ones who speak of the goodness of the Lord and speak of his goodness in our lives and, and testify of his good news and how it's transformed our lives. We're gonna do that. We're gonna scatter seeds. And that's what this, this farmer does. So if we wanna live obediently, submitted, Excuse me. Submitted solely to the glory of the Lord. We need to be ones who scatter seeds. Generously, extravagantly, we scatter seeds. The second is seasons. We need to embrace seasons. Every farmer understands seasons. And... Um, for farmers, they're not going to pull out the combine in the spring. They're not going to be tilling the ground in August. Right? They understand seasons and they embrace seasons. How, it breaks, how that analogy breaks down in the kingdom is not so much that we should be only sowing seeds in some seasons and only watering in some seasons and only harvesting in some seasons. It's not like that in the kingdom of God. Sometimes there can be sowing and watering and harvesting happening simultaneously. But I think more importantly, what Jesus is speaking to the heart of in regards to faithfulness and obedience to him and his promises and his kingdom ways is embracing seasons. Embracing the season of the, the person in front of you. Maybe you're contending for a prodigal son or daughter. And honestly, that is a patient, persistent labor of love to pray and pursue someone into the kingdom of God, someone who has willfully gone away, rebelled against the Lord. And in that, you need to be so discerning and understanding of the seasons and embracing the seasons. Understand that this may be a season of sowing and I'm just gonna continue to sow the seeds in that person's life. I may just continue to plant the seeds, throw the seeds generously into, the, into their heart. 
That when that season of harvest comes, we also embrace that and we, we leap on that, we jump on that and we embrace that for what it is. The kingdom of God, we need to be willing to embrace the seasons. We need to be willing to trust the Lord that, that some are gonna plant seeds in a situation or a dream or a pursuit or a calling and some are gonna water and some are gonna harvest. That we need to be willing to embrace the seasons. And thirdly, simplicity. Simplicity. Childlike simplicity. And this was, uh, Joe spoken to this earlier as well. I feel like that was the Lord prompting that. The Lord has invited us into a simplicity of faith with him. That is such a, it's such a gift. It's actually a gift and this has stretched for us as, as Westerners who think we know all and we have all the information at our fingertips. We Google things incessantly because we just can't help ourselves. So we think we know everything. And so in our walks with the Lord, when, when we're confounded, when we're confused, when we're impatient, we get frustrated. But I would tell you in the kingdom of God that simplicity is such a gift to remember that you're a child and he's the father. That he is so far beyond our understanding, that he is so far beyond your planning and, and he can be trusted with those things. And, and then you enter into this place of simplicity and simple trust. Simple, childlike trust. It's such a gift. And, and I pray that over each one of you that you'd be able to walk in a simplicity with the Lord that is so freeing, you know? I think it's very interesting, and maybe this will be highlighted to you now as you dive into scripture for yourself, but there is a word that Paul repeats throughout his letters in the New Testament, and it's the word mystery. The mysteries of the gospel, the mysteries of the kingdom, the mysteries of Christ in the church. He talks about that word mystery a lot, and part of that is because of the uh, infatuation about the mysteries of knowledge amongst the Greek or Roman culture that he's speaking to. But I do believe that that is, that theme speaks to every generation and this desire for us to, to know all and feel like we can know all. If God, sometimes in our waiting, if God were to explain to us why we are waiting and why the breakthrough hasn't come, either we would revolt or it would blow our minds. You know, we, we just, we wouldn't be able to comprehend it. It would blow us away. And so it's the Lord's grace to sometimes keep us in the mystery. And for us to just trust that he is God and we are not. For us to live in a life of a worshipful and a worshipful wonder, the mysteries of God, amen? amen? And so simplicity is such a gift. I'm gonna ask, Scott to come uh, forward to the keys, but um, I'll just share a little bit of my own testimony because I think this came fresh to me um, praying for the alumni gathering that happened last night. Um, when I was 21 years old, uh, I had significant encounters with the Lord where I really began to feel like the Lord was calling me to full-time ministry. And uh, for, for some of you, you, th you think I'm not 21 yet. I am 21. <laughs> I'm older than 21, but... Um, when I was 21, so this is 17 years ago, uh, significant moments with the Lord and felt like a calling to full-time vocational ministry. I was an engineering student, and so I didn't like talking to people. I didn't, um, didn't have a lot of confidence. 
um, talking to people. I didn't have a lot of friends, but, um, but the Lord put this calling upon my life to, to tell as many people about uh, his goodness as possible. And the Lord began to stir that in my heart. I didn't know what that meant. If that meant I was gonna give my, my life for the nations and as a missionary, I didn't know if I, I meant I'd be a, a youth pastor or um, I had no idea what that meant. Um, that, that, that following summer then, I traveled all the way to Rwanda. I spent a summer in Rwanda, Africa, still finishing my engineering degree and um, came back just all the more stirred for the assignments and the callings the Lord had put upon my life. And so I love watching young people um, come into a knowledge in a uh, revelation that they have a purpose and an assignment upon their life. So, so beautiful. None of us are an accident. None of us are sitting on the sidelines of the kingdom. I had oftentimes discounted myself, assumed I wasn't qualified or um, had the right giftings or the talents and, and therefore I'd sit on the sidelines. And as the Lord enraptured me in his presence and drew me close, all those things died and I finished my engineering degree and so there I was, a newlywed, me and my wife were freshly married and um, tens of thousands of dollars in student debt, I had an engineering degree and I wanted to be obedient to the calling of the Lord upon my life. So what did we do? Well, we moved out to Seattle and we started our jobs in the marketplace. I worked as a nuclear engineer for the federal government and, and um, all that time carrying this, this dream, this calling, this, this thing that I knew was given to me by the Lord. This wasn't for my own fabrication. In fact, if I would have had it another way, I wouldn't have put it upon myself. I would have, I would have loved, I'm, I'm a nerd, so I would have loved the way of just immersing myself in the complexities of math. And that's, I mean, I just love it. <laughs> I could do that. I really could. I, th I think it's interesting. I think it's fascinating. Um, but it's the Lord who put that calling upon my life. He's the one who planted that dream in my heart. And, and so over that next two years, we, me and Tanya, we paid off all of our student loans and we prayed a simple prayer. We said, Lord, wherever you want to take us, we will go. Wherever you want to, wherever you want to take us. And whether that's overseas or both me and my wife were serving with at-risk youth. I'd been serving as a chaplain in the detention centers. And Tanya had been working with kids um, coming out of foster, foster care, transitioning into independent living. And um, it's like, wherever you, <laughs> excuse me, wherever you want to take us, Lord, we'll go. We waited, we waited, we waited. 18 more months. So three and a half years out there in this seemingly uh, season of waiting. And we get a phone call. We, we had a few, a few different things come our way and it's like the Lord was clearly closing doors. Um, opportunity to do college ministry elsewhere or work with youth elsewhere. But uh, eventually we got this phone call from Iowa and we didn't, we knew where Iowa was, but we didn't have a whole lot of knowledge of, uh, we didn't know anybody in Iowa and it wasn't necessarily on our radar. Um, but as we, we came, February of 2011, and I walked to the college campus. It was like 
dreams that the Lord had planted in our hearts years earlier just began to come into living color before our eyes. It was like visions of the, the godly potential and the, the potential of revival in this city just wrecked us. And so it wasn't, wasn't because of any specific relationships. It, I believe it was just the Lord speaking to our hearts and giving kind of life to dreams that he himself had planted in our heart. And if I were to say that all those dreams have been fulfilled, I would be lying. I feel like the Lord is only downloading to my heart more and more dreams of the things yet to come. I believe the Lord is only opening my eyes to more and more promises that he is calling us to contend for in our day. But I, but I thank God for those seasons of waiting. I thank God for those seasons of testing, testing the dream. For me, it was only three and a half years of, of that specific dream of being obedient to the calling of God upon my life. But I'm realizing that many of these dreams have waiting times of much longer. Three and a half years is just a drop in the bucket in the eyes of the Lord. For him a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. Would you all stand to your feet? I believe the Lord wants to continue to pour out his grace for us to wait on the Lord. I believe in this, in this day, in these last days, waiting on the Lord is the secret weapon of the church. Learning to wait on the Lord and trust him. So I want us to respond to the Lord right now. I want you to receive from the Lord himself grace to wait. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.